Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I am filling in for Pastor Rody today. He has uh, stepped out, and um, so instead of taking on the book of Hebrews um, and just uh, try, trying to, you know, work with him and, and, and uh, you know, I don't. I would just rather leave that to him. And he asked me to just do some sort of topic, and I thought, well, how, what what better way to enrich our study uh, than to do a discussion on priests in the Old Testament? And I thought that this would really really enrich our discussion here, our appreciation for Christ as our great High Priest, and give us just a much deeper understanding of of what it is that Jesus does for us now as our High Priest. And it'll really, it'll give you a lot of background into the theology behind the author of Hebrews when he talks about Christ as our priest. But before we get started, let's begin with invocation and prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so, I thought I would begin just by talking just generally about the the narrative history of salvation. Okay, so... All the way from the beginning, let's just, I'll start with Abraham. You have Abraham going from um, uh, his native land all the way to the promised land. Then you've got uh, Isaac and Jacob. Then you have the sons of Jacob, right? These these sons of, of promise. Uh, Jacob is renamed to Israel. And the children of Israel, the sons of Israel, go into Egypt, right? Um, because of the famine in Canaan. And then, um, well, they grow and multiply, and then they are brought into slavery under Pharaoh, right? This is the grand sweeping arc of the children of Israel. And, um, they, you know, they, they uh, proliferate, they, their numbers expand greatly by the, by the hand of the Lord. And they have, you have these different tribes associated with the sons of Israel. So then the, the people of, of Israel cry out, the Lord hears their, their cry, and then brings them out stunningly from the land of Egypt in spectacular fashion, parts the Red Sea, destroys the military of, uh, the, the mightiest military of the, of the ancient world at that time, and brings them out of the land of Egypt. Just astonishing, amazing uh, event. And any good Jew recognizes this as the the salvific event of the Old Testament. You know, even even when um, the later uh, you know people who who were suffered under the Babylonian captivity, for example, that was vastly out. You know, it was it was eclipsed by the 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 deliverance that the Lord had worked through the Red Sea and bringing the the people of Israel out of Egypt. That that was it. That was the salvific event. But then, now we have um, an interesting thing that happens. So God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the desert. But now there's a problem. The problem is, how do, how do these unholy people dwell with and in the presence of a holy God? That is the problem. 
How do you have a holy God dwelling in the midst of and nourishing, um, living with, dwelling with, and having an intimate communion with unholy people? That is the problem. Okay, because of God's holiness, uh, if 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 He well, if He were to withdraw completely, well, then we would all perish. But if we approach God uh, without having been cleansed and uh, without having without the Lord mediating this sort of uh, or facilitating some sort of encounter between us so that we can approach him and receive of his grace and blessing and life without being totally destroyed. Unless God were to do that, we would all just perish. We, I mean, the holiness of God is such that if we in our state right now were to look upon him, we would die. <laughs> we, would, we would be completely perished. And so God has to enact a system whereby we can approach him and whereby we can receive his blessings, right? And so this is, this is, um, why God enacts or institutes the priesthood. Okay. This is what priests do. All right. So, um, it's important that we point out that, of course, the people of Israel were consecrated as a holy people unto the Lord. Moses splattered, uh, blood and sealed the people, um, in this, in the, in the, in the old covenant, right? So they were, uh, sanctified and made a people unto the Lord. And yet, even so, God ordains the priesthood. He gives the people priests. Okay, so so what is a priest? What are some things you think of when when you hear that word? What is a priest? What are some things that come to mind? Butcher. Mm -hmm. Cut off the animal. Right. Yeah, a butcher. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Go ahead. They they act for the people. Uh, for the people, the priest acts for the people toward God. Very good. That's absolutely correct. Yes. Um, so the priest is. Uh, well, what what are some other things uh, before I before I jump in? What are some other things that you think of? Just priest, just in general. What, what? Let's kick some things around. Let's brainstorm a little bit. Yes, Alice. Mediator. A mediator. Yes, exactly. You guys are on point. I love it. Yes, a priest is fundamentally a mediator, a stand-in, a representative. Okay. Um, between two parties, right? So you've got God and the people of Israel, and you have the priests that would stand in the middle, okay? So, um, yes, the work of the priest centered on the tabernacle and the temple later, but their service was completely oriented around the tabernacle where God, uh, where God dwelt, okay? Surely God dwelt with and among the entire people of Israel, but he dwelt in a, in a very particular way located in the tabernacle and in the temple. Okay. And, um, out of all the, the tribes of Israel, it was only the Levites. It was only the Levites that were, um, chosen to be priests or to have a priestly service. Okay. All the rest of the, the people of Israel, all the other tribes, they were given, um, they had an inheritance that would be, that would be assigned to them when they actually entered into the, the land of Israel or the, the, the land of Canaan. But the Levites did not have an inheritance. The Lord himself would be their inheritance, right? And their whole duty was to serve the Lord in this way, in this, in this mediating sort of role. Okay. So yes, um, as Alice said, they are very much mediators, and they the priests would represent the people of Israel to the Lord, and they would also represent the Lord to the people of Israel. Okay, um, it's a, it's really an amazing thing. 
And, um, you know, I, I, when you understand the, all that, that went into this priestly service and all that the Lord has in mind with, with everything that he institutes. So there was a, a daily liturgy, as a matter of fact, that the priests would do every single day, morning and evening. And it can, you know, of course it included, um, uh, the slaughter and burning of a lamb, an unblemished lamb, every single uh, evening and morning, every every day of the week. And this was part of their daily service that the priests would render on behalf of God to the people. right? And so with the lamb, there was also a number of other things that they had to do uh, too. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, in any case, the, so the priests had five main tasks. Um, the first one was to burn incense at the altar, guarding the Holy of Holies. Okay, so this was the first thing that they would do. It really encapsulates the entirety of their service. All right, the priests would burn incense. And um, so what they would do is uh, they would take some of the fire that was outside um, on the altar and they would bring it into uh, the, the tent of meeting. They would go into the holy place and they would wash before they did this. And they would burn incense, all right? And this incense would um, fill the, the holy place with this fragrant aroma, right? And then what would happen is this incense was, um, it would maintain the holiness of the priests, you know, because this incense was consecrated by the Lord as a holy thing, right? It was a holy thing for the priest to do this. And it would make the priests themselves, it would maintain their holiness, and then what the priests would do is they would come out of the temple or out of the, the tabernacle and the, the incense, like the shroud, this cloud of incense, this aroma would come out with the priest and it would then uh, sort of waft out into the rest of the camp of Israel, right? They would all be gathered, right, for this liturgy and the incense would fill the camp and, and this was basically like God showing the the Israelites, that he was there with them in a gracious um, way, a bless, it, you know, he was blessing them through the priest. The priest was God's representative coming out to bless the people of Israel, right? So this was like one of the central parts of the, of the divine service of the Old Testament. The priest would do this um, and sanctify the people thereby, right? So the people would be enveloped in this cloud of incense, and they would smell the fragrant aroma. They would see the priest and they would receive the, the ironic benediction. You know, um, the Lord uh, bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. All these things that we, that we say in our divine service too. But this is the way that the priest would put the name of the Lord upon the people, right? Um, this was instituted by the Lord. And this is how the Lord would um, sanctify his people by putting his name on them and maintain this holiness that the people had. This is just what they did as part of their communion with God as they would dwell with him. The Lord would continually, by the priest, put his name on the people and mediate grace to the people, right, through these ritual acts, right? So in any case, um, the priest would burn incense, right? They would present um, burnt offerings on the altar, right? So one of the things that the priests had to do is, and all of this is, is uh, prescribed by the Lord, as a matter of fact. So this is all given directly by the Lord. So what the priests would have to do is they would have to inspect the lambs that would be provided 
uh, for the sacrifice. They had to be unblemished in every way. They couldn't be blind or missing. Uh, like they, they, they couldn't have a leg amputated or have uh, infectious diseases or anything like that. They had to be inspected. They had to be verified that they were a male of one year, unblemished. They would present this before the Lord. Only the priest would do this. The priest would then um, slit the throat of the lamb and drain the blood. The blood would be collected in a basin. And then the priest would then take the blood to the altar and, and, and basically sprinkle uh, the blood on the altar. Okay, And what this had a twofold effect. It would propitiate the wrath of God, right? so the, the life would be drained from this animal. Um, it, and this would propitiate the, the wrath of God towards sin. Okay, so a life, basically a life for a life. The life of the animal for the life of the Israelites. Right? And so the, the, the wrath of God would be placated by this sacrifice. And likewise, also the sins of the people would be expiated. It would be put away, it would be done away with by this rite, this rite of atonement. Right? So this is another central thing that the priests would do every single day, morning and evening. So the third thing that they would do is they would cast lots. And by the way, let me just get through these these, these different tasks. There's I have about three more, um, and then we can stop for reflections, questions, and comments and all of this. So um, the, la the third thing that the priests would do is they would cast lots. Okay, so the, what the high priest had on his chest was a, a chest piece, right? Um, which he would wear as part of his vestments prescribed by the Lord. And um, he had what were called Urim and Thummim. Right? Urim and Thummim. These are very mysterious things. But basically what it amounted to was kind of like a, a set of dice. Okay, and I, I don't think that they actually used dice. But it was a little, there were these little instruments by which they could cast lots and determine what the Lord's judgment on a certain matter was. Okay, so... Um, for example, if they wanted to know what a certain, like the Lord had to say about a certain case here, or if, if they weren't quite sure what to do in a certain instance, they would cast lots, basically, with these Urim and Thummim, and the dice would give either, or, you know, these, um, these instruments would either give a positive answer, a negative answer, or if they gave one positive and one negative, it would be neutral, right? It would be a neutral thing, a neutral answer. So that this is how they would discern what God's judgment was, because they believed that God was in control of all things, and he could control what um, what actually happened with the Urim and Thummim, kind of like throwing dice. You know, the Lord's in control of this. He will determine what happens. All right, so that's, that's the way that they looked at it. Um, yes, I mentioned the Aaronic blessing. So this was the fourth thing that they would do. The priests alone were able to give the Aaronic blessing to mediate God's grace to the people, right? Um, that was only in the purview of the, the priests, the Aaronic priests, okay? And the last thing that they would do, the last thing I'll touch on, is that they taught the Torah in a very specific way. So the, the priests were also teachers. They had a teaching role uh, among the people of Israel. And what they would do is they would teach about the provisions for God's holiness. They would teach about his regulations for worship. They would teach the people of Israel what constituted right worship. They taught the people of Israel how to approach our holy God. Right? 
because people couldn't just come up willy-nilly. Um, I mean, there, there were very specific guidelines, you know, because God, we have to appreciate this is something that American culture and really Western culture in general ha has lost, a sense of things that are holy, things that are sacred, things that must not be trampled on and, and profaned, right? Um, just like it would be, I mean, all of us here would, th I mean, it would be, the utmost sac, the highest sacrilege to go and have um, a great Super Bowl party in our sanctuary, right? We would never do this. We would, I mean, it, it would be taking th something that's very profane, very common, and doing it in a in a place holy and and dedicated to the purposes and the things of the Lord, right? It would be a sacrilege, right? And so. Um, likewise, nobody could just come up and, and worship the Lord in any particular way that they wanted. The Lord had very specific ways in which uh, he authorized worship, all right? what, considered, what was constituted right worship. And it was the job of the priest to distinguish between, let me, like, probably most fundamentally, their task was to distinguish between holy and profane from clean and unclean. Right? They would have to, to separate these things out and determine what was holy, what was not, what was clean, and what was unclean, so that they could actually worship the Lord properly. Okay? So for, let, let's, let's see how this bears itself out. Again, if, they, if people were to bring, uh, or if they were to have, let's say, a lamb that was blemished, that had an infection, that had a missing eye, or something like that. The pr it would be the job of the priest to determine that this is not suitable for worship, and it would be improper, and it would bring the wrath of God if we offered this lamb um, to, to, uh, in worship, right? According to the Lord's command. It was their job to do this. And then so they would teach and instruct the people of Israel about what constituted right worship, and also about the implications of their dwelling with a holy God for the rest of their life. You know, their whole life was shaped, their identity was found in their life with God. I mean, it, 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 it affected their, the entirety of their whole being. Their very life, from beginning to end, was um, wrapped up in, in their life with God. I mean, that's where they found their identity, their meaning, right? And so the, it was the priest's job to kind of instruct the people on what it would mean for them to walk with their holy God. You know, they couldn't act the way that the, that the pagan um, nations would. They couldn't do the things that, that the other pagans would do, like offering their children to Molech, for example. The Lord said this is an abomination, right? They couldn't, they, they had very specific things that guided their life and it gave shape and character to their life with God, right? Their life was not formless and void. They had specific uh, requirements and things that the Lord set out for his own people, right? To be, to be his, distinguished from the rest of the, the nations, okay? So yes, they, they had a, a teaching role, all right? So why don't I take a quick pause here and just see if you guys have any questions. I, I know this, this, there's, there's, really a lot that I presented there, and, and there's a lot more that could be said, but any quick thoughts or, yes? You said there were two sacrifices? Yes. Well, it's a good question. Um, the, sh the simple answer is just that's because that's the way that the Lord wanted it. The Lord gave, the, yes, the, the Lord instituted um, 
the sacrifice to be done evening and morning, like the entirety of the day, right, is to be, um, this, this is just, just the way it is. I mean, there might be, you know, some sort of as higher esoteric uh, thing that the, that the rabbis might teach about this, but um, it's just what the Lord gave, gave him to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was just the nature of their life together. You know, at the beginning of the day, at the very end of the day, it was all sanctified and consecrated wholly unto the Lord. Okay. What's the difference? Because Aaron's mm-hmm. sons were priests, but mm-hmm. Levi's were priests too. So what's the difference between? Is only Aaron's son could be high priest and not everybody in the tribe right. of Right. We're going to get into that. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll, let me hold your question in abeyance, and, oh, okay. uh, and I'll answer that in just a minute. Okay, and also the other thing I noticed, there was an age limit on all these. You were only allowed to be from 20 to like 50, something like that, I think it was, mm-hmm. in Leviticus, and then you got kicked out. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, um there, there were specific qualifications that were required for priests, um, and that the age was one of them. And so the high priest, the job of the high priest specifically, I believe, um, that would be uh, inherited, and um, that would take place when the high priest would either die or just retire once once his uh, eligibility had, um, well, once he had aged out of eligibility, basically. So that's that's how that would happen. But yes, there were a number of, and I, I just didn't want to get into the nitty gritty of all of the requirements, which you can read about that. I think in Leviticus twenty one. Um, yes, this might be a nitty gritty, but um, um, I believe one of the things where they could the Levite, uh, the tribe of Levite, those ancestors could not inherit any land. They didn't mm-hmm. get any land, and they were to be cared for and fed and so if that's god's plan in the old testament if we transfer to the current day similar to pastors but pastors uh you know i mean could you just comment on the equivalency or if we should be making that comparison yes um so well saint paul i believe uh, makes a parallel there too so the the way that the Levites, since they didn't have any land to farm or anything like that, the Levites were cared for when the people of Israel would give their tithes to the Lord. They would present it to the priests, and a portion of those tithes, you know, because the, the the Israelites would be giving their first fruits, right? Um, the first fruit of their harvest, their their livestock, right? The, the very best that they had, they would be giving to the Lord. Well, a portion of that would actually go to uh, the Levites, to the priests, and they would consume these things, um, and that's how the Lord would would provide for them. And so, um, really, this idea of offering, you know, when we take an offering in the church, it would really be more fitting for us to not just bring money up there, and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, and I think historically this has been done, in, maybe in the early church, where they would bring all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of food, wine, bread, uh, money, goods, all kinds of stuff they would be bringing as an offering, and they would set it on the altar. And then the Lord would take a portion of that, the bread and the wine that the people would bring up, and consecrate it, and then give it back to the people, right? Um, 
and the people would be nourished by the goodness and grace of the Lord. So we as priests, maybe I, I am getting ahead of myself here, but we as, the, as royal priests in Christ, we present our offerings to the Lord, and then those things he even gives back to us. So he gives us things that we give back, and then he gives back to us even more, right? The, the blessings of the Lord just redound. And so too, when people bring, when people bring their offering of especially like monetary goods, uh, to the church, well, the Lord uses a portion of that to sustain uh, his pastors. And St. Paul says explicitly that um, the priests should be um, be able to make their living uh, off of uh, what the Lord provides through the offering. Right? The people provide, and the Lord takes some of that and gives it to the priests, and they should be able to make their living off of that. Right? It's not. It's certainly not a requirement. It's really. I. I would think it's not ideal for for pastors, priests, to be bivocational in this way, um, to have to go out and find another job in addition to being um, full-time ministry, it's really not a good thing. Um, we sh- we, we, it's something that if that happens, well, the church is probably in a, in a bad way. You know? But in any case, does that kind of get to what you were talking about a little bit? Yeah, I mean, just a couple thoughts. Paul uh, was not in, not uh, bashful about saying he earned his own way. He was yeah. a tent maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think of uh, missionaries who have to leave the mission field and come back and raise their own funds. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, uh, right, right. Well, I, I just what I'm what I'm kind of militating against are, um, and, I, and not not here, of course, but um, I've heard. Um, congregational presidents of other churches say, well, you know, I don't think we should be paying pastors health care. I don't think we should be paying his pension. I don't think, like, and, you know, so forcing the pastor to not only have all the burdens of public ministry and to serving the congregation, but basically forcing them to go out and find some other way of, of uh, you know, of, of caring for themselves, right? When it, it wouldn't have hurt this particular church to do that, right? They just didn't want to pay. Right. So, in any case, I like I said, I, I didn't want to get into the weeds and stuff, but um, you know, it's important. It's important to recognize that the Lord would care. He sought to care for His priests um, through the offering. Mm-hmm. Alice, did you have something? Oh, I see. Yes, yes, yes. We are going to get to that. Okay. Why don't we just do that now? Why don't we do that now? Okay, so, um, yes. If we turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16, we will see that the people of Israel really didn't... Uh, they, they, well, they, we see a, a, a very significant rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Okay, this is called Korah's Rebellion. Korah's Rebellion. So the basic idea is this. So all of the people of Israel were consecrated wholly unto the Lord, and yet we see Moses acting as the divine lawgiver, and Aaron being and his sons being consecrated to the priesthood. Okay, this happens. The consecration of the priests takes place in Exodus chapter 29. But the people thought, well, we're holy too. Why, why, are, why do you just get to be priests? We want to do that. You've taken this for yourself. 
Um, and so then you have the question of who is able, actually, who is authorized by God to give, uh, to, to be priest, to, to worship, to give sacrifice? Who, who is actually authorized to do this? Okay, so I'll just read through some of the text here, and um, we won't be able to, 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 just for the purpose of this class, we won't be able to, to read through all of chapter 16, but we'll, we'll dig into it and see what, see what the scriptures say. Okay, so I'm starting in verse 3. They assembled themselves together, that is, uh, the, uh, the 250 chiefs of the congregation. Uh, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and to all his, and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Okay, and so now listen to Moses' rebuke here in verse 8. Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you? that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near, near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Right? So look at what Moses is saying here. By the people, um, and so, so by the, the Levites coming up and saying, well, we want the priesthood too, arranging themselves against Moses, against Aaron. What does Moses say? He says, you are gathering against the Lord himself in doing this. The Lord is the one who has come down, um, from on high, literally, and consecrated Aaron and his sons to be priests, right? And so now we're going to see, we're going to see what happens to Aaron or to, uh, to Korah and company uh, when, they, uh, when they gather together in the morning, they light, the, they, they burn incense, and we'll see which sacrifice, as it were, the Lord accepts, okay? So um, skipping down to verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron. So this is the Lord speaking. Look what he says. Separate yourselves yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Okay, so here you have Moses here also speaking uh, in, a, um, in, a, in a mediatorial or a mediating way, right? He's, he's interceding for the congregation, saying, do not, you know, shall one man sin and you destroy everybody? Surely not, Lord. 
right? And so the Lord accepts the mediation of Moses and then tells the congregation to get away from the unclean people, that he might deal with them in their uncleanness, in their rebellion, right? And so what happens? Moses, in, in verse 25, Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they, all, so they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, that is natural death, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And then look what happens. As, and as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So these, all these people and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol because they had warred against the divinely ordained priesthood of Aaron and his sons. This is terrifying. And the God, God, our God is, um, he is very much a God of order. And we must be careful. We find this in the book of Hebrews, in fact. We must approach God as a, he is a consuming fire. And we must offer right sacrifice. We must offer right worship of the Lord our God. And because he is holy, he is not mocked. And to dare to profane the things of the Lord, to desecrate um, the things, the holy things that he has consecrated for his purposes, this is a dreadful thing. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God in this way. Um, we must note the severity of the Lord and as much as he is gracious and he wants to dwell with the people, he does so in a very particular way. And we must honor that. We must tremble at his word and, and not seek to subvert it as, as Korah and company did. So what happens as a result of this, this is, as, as you see in um, Numbers 16, if you flip over to Numbers 18, now we're going to get into um, the duties of the priests and the Levites. So as a result of all of this, um, the Lord, um, well, I'll just say this. The Lord, the Lord separates the, the Levites from the priests. Okay, so all, this is kind of the paradox of it all. All priests are from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites are priests. Okay, it's only Aaron and his sons that can be priests, even if they're from the tribe of Levi. But not all Levites can be priests. Okay, it's only the sons of Aaron, Aaron and his family. Okay, so look at this. Here's what we're going to see from verses one through seven. What are the duties and of the priests and Levites? 
So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. And with you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, and no, and no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord, to do the service of the tent of meeting. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Okay, so there's a lot here, but what we see here is a division, a, a separation from, as I said, the priests from the Levites. Okay, so the priests would serve in the inner sanctum of the temple and the tabernacle. Okay, they were the ones who, were, and all, the only ones who were allowed to go into the holy place. And the high priest alone could go into the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Right, and so the, what the Levites would do, the, the rest of the Levites would actually be subordinate to the priests, okay? So they would guard the temple and the tabernacle precinct from outsiders who were unclean so that they wouldn't approach and desecrate the temple and also um, so that they wouldn't be destroyed, right? Um, this was the job of the Levites. They would basically, they were like guards in a, in a very real way. You know, so anybody who would approach the tabernacle and the temple they had to encounter the Levites, and if there was any sort of blemish, if there was any sort of like, uh, like what you'll find in Hebrew or uh, in Leviticus, for example, is in, like a mold in your clothing, for example, that had to be addressed by the by a Levite, and to be uh, that cl that clothing had to be washed and removed of its impurity before that person could then rejoin the rest of the people for the divine service, right? So it was the Levite's job to guard the temple and tabernacle precinct, and they were subordinate to the priests. And what we see here also is a sort of a chain going on. So you have our holy God, and his, rep his immediate representative would be the high priest, who then um, was, was superior to the rest of the priesthood, who were superior to the Levites, who were superior to the people of Israel. You see, so you see this chain going up and down. And so what would happen is, although um, these, these sacrifices were instituted to make, uh, um, to make atonement for the people, it was really impossible for there not to be some sort of guilt incurred on the part of the people when they would offer these sacrifices. They might do so, they, you know, everything might not be perfect, they might slip something in here or there, you know, who knows what all the circumstances might be. And so what would happen is they, the people of Israel would not bear the guilt associated with their offerings. 
but the Levites would bear that for the people, right? And they, so here too, they had sort of a mediating role, the Levites did. And so even then, the priests would bear the guilt of the Levites, right? And then it wasn't even just the priests who would, who would ultimately bear um, that guilt. The high priest would bear all the guilt of, of the priest, the rest of the priesthood, the Levites and the people of Israel, as he came into the presence of the Lord, right? So you see this chain of guilt being brought up to the one high priest who would bear the guilt of the people of Israel. And so what would happen to the high priest who was bearing all of this guilt? Does anybody know? What would happen? What does the high priest do with all of the guilt? Exactly right. You're exactly right. It's the, the, here what we have is the Day of Atonement. So the high priest would take his hands and he would put them on a goat, right, and transfer all the sins, all the guilt of the people of Israel onto this goat, which would then be led out of the camp into the wilderness to die. Okay, so this is how ultimately one day of year, one day a year, all the sins, all the guilt of the people of Israel would be transferred through the high priest onto the goat who would be sent to die in the wilderness. Okay, it's an astonishing thing. It's an astonishing thing. And, um, you, you run into a, a little bit of a difficulty when the goat follows you back to the camp. <laughs> so what would they do? Well, they, um, they would either push the goat off into Gehenna, like when they, when they would, uh, um, when they were actually in Israel, in the land of Israel, and they, you know, you had the temple precinct and all of that. Well, they would transfer the sins of the people onto the goat and then push it off into their garbage dump, which was Gehenna, where they would light fires, um, and the goat would fall to its death. Or they would lead the goat out of the camp and then tie, a, tie it to a stake out in the wilderness so that the goat could not move, and the goat would die. Um, and if you're, if you're making Christological connect, connections here, you, you are right to do so. Um, so, <clears throat> this, is, this is how God, in his goodness, would deal with their sin. You know, he wouldn't just brush it off. It's important for us to recognize that. He wouldn't just wink his eye at it and just make it just disappear. No, there was a very specific way that the Lord dealt with the, the sins of his people through the mediation of the priesthood. He would deal with them, and then, likewise, he, through the same priesthood, he would, he would bless his people. He would give them life and grace and blessing, right? It was, it was through the priesthood, the mediation of the priesthood, that this would happen, right? This exchange, um, blessing for the people of Israel uh, in exchange for their sin, right? So you can see how atonement really gets fleshed out here. So what I thought we would do, um, if, if there are, um, do you guys have any quick questions or anything? I wanted to take a couple of uh, a look at a couple of examples of people who offered wrong sacrifice um, and the way that the priests specifically would fail in their duty, provoking the wrath of the Lord and how they would um, long for and anticipate Christ as the true faithful high priest. Did you have something, Nelson? Okay. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Okay. Any other thoughts? Any questions? Barry, do you have something? You look confused. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we flip then to, um, I think the first thing I wanted to look at was Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Okay, so this is dealing with the reign of King Uzziah in Judah. King Uzziah from Judah. Right? So this is obviously after the, the, the division from, uh, between Israel and Judah. The, the kingdom was divided. Right? Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. Reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. So what, we're, what I want to do is focus in especially on uh, starting in verse 16. All right, we'll just read uh, for a little bit here. But when, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Okay, so here you have a king, a rightly ordained, you know, he is a king, consecrated king of, of, uh, of Judah, and... Um, but he is not authorized to come into the temple and burn incense as in the incense offering. So he's presuming to encroach into the Lord's presence, though he is unauthorized to do so. So let's see what happens. Verse 17, But Azariah, the priest, went in, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had, now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord, by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly. And he himself hurried to go out, because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he li lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. So then they had to find uh, a new, <laughs> Jotham, his son, was over the king's household governing the people of the land. Yeah, so this is not good. This is not good. So you have a king presuming in his pride to come in when it is not given to him to offer this incense, presuming to come into the presence of our holy Lord and offer um, a, an unlawful sacrifice. He is unauthorized to do so. And the Lord has wrath. His, the wrath of the Lord breaks out upon this prideful man who presumes to be able to do so. Right? Leprosy until the day of his death. He's separated. He has to live in a, in a separate home. Um, and he's rendered unclean because of his leprosy. Now, it's not as though lepers could not be saved. But we do need to recognize 
um, that the wrath of the Lord is quickly kindled when um, things like this happen. When people, when human beings in their pride presume to do things that they're not given to do, especially, especially in the house of the Lord, this will most certainly incur the wrath of God. Okay. Any quick questions, thoughts on this? Any anything before I I want to go to one more passage of Holy Scripture before we kind of wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you happen to remember? I don't. I don't remember what chapter that that occurs I don't in. I think it's. Who were priests and they did something against right. God's commandment with the attempt to do the incense. Yeah, they took fire. And, and the fire consumed them right at the altar. Yeah, and they took fire outside. Yeah. They, they were not allowed to. They were, they were not allowed to bring the fire from outside. They camp fire into the holy yeah, place. Yeah, and they did. They did not do that. They, they. They were supposed to take the fire from the altar into the incense, and they went outside the camp and dropped a regular fire. Mm. Yeah, that that sounds right. Yeah, so it's only the fire um, from the altar. So this really, to do justice to all of this, it would require a kind of an in-depth look at the temple and tabernacle precinct. Um, So right outside of the tabernacle, um, and by the way, if, you, if you're looking in your Lutheran study Bible and you have to f- happen to find a good diagram, let me know and we can turn to that. But um, the way that this worked is the Israelites were led through the desert, um, as you know, with a pillar of cloud and fire. Okay. Now, when the temple or when the tabernacle was erected, um, the, f- the same fire was brought into, it, it went into the tabernacle, you know, this, this present, where the Lord was present in the fire, that fire went into the tabernacle and then came out and lit the fire that was on the altar outside of the tabernacle, right? So you can picture the fire going in, like going into a house and then coming back out and lighting the fire of the altar, right? And so this, the fire that took, that was on this altar um, would, um, it was the presence of the Lord there. You know, it was always to be kept burning day and night. This was one of the things that the priests had to do every single day was to go and bring wood and um, put it on the fire and remove the coals and, and to, to keep the fire going day and night, right? To bring to the, to the remembrance of the Israelites the Lord's abiding presence with them. That fire particularly was a holy fire. And the rest of the burnt offerings, the incense, all of this that would be burned would be burned using that fire, this holy fire of the Lord, right? And so there, this is where you get that language of um, strange fire, right? You, you might have heard this. Um, you, you, nobody, none of the priests could use different fire other than would be found in that uh, fire on the altar for any, for any offering because that's what made the rest of the offerings actually holy um, was the, their contact with this fire. And so when these priests would, went and did that, despite the fact that they were authorized, they were not authorized to bring in this strange fire. This is not what the Lord had commanded them to do. And um, they, they perished because of it. And you can see that on the one hand, um, again, the Lord is gracious. He, it is by his own initiative that he comes and dwells with his people that he brought out of Egypt. 
It is the Lord's grace by which he, or it is by his grace that he institutes the priesthood to deal with the people's sins um, and to, to bless them through the, the role of the priest. But when we, but when human beings start to tamper with that and they go beyond and do other things than what the Lord has prescribed, dire, dire consequences follow. And you can see that clearly, even though that, um, these, these were sons of Aaron, they still perished, right? So we might note the, the graciousness of the Lord and also his severity, uh, with, with, um, those who, who deviate from these things, um. Yeah, I, that's probably all I should say about that. Um, it's 139 at the heaven. Picture of the tabernacle. 139, you said? Yeah. Yeah, let's take a look. I might do us some good here just in the time that we have left. Yeah, okay, perfect. Thank you for that, Chris. Okay, so here, yes. It was only the priest. So looking at this larger diagram here down, down towards the bottom, the guy standing there before that, that altar with the smoke coming up, that would be the high priest. And it was the priest's duty to go and take the, so you can see the table with the bread of the presence up, um, towards the north side there. Um, it would, that, so that bread was, um, there were, there were 12 pieces of bread that were to be, to be always on this golden, um, table here. And it was the priest's job every Sabbath to come and remove the bread, replace it, and actually he would consume that bread. Um, and that was, that was another way in which he, he retained his holiness, or he maintained it, right? Because the bread was holy. It was consecrated. So you also have this lamp stand here, um, if I could just explain a little bit about the, the layout of the temple. This lamp stand here, this menorah, with the sevenfold lights um, this served a very practical function in that it would illuminate the, <laughs> the, the holy place so people could actually see what they're doing, right? But it was much more than that. It was much more than that. It was the light of the Lord's presence. You know, the Lord, the light of the Lord's presence always, because this lamp also had to be kept going day and night. It never went out. It was like an eternal flame. And, um, the light of the Lord would always be shining on the twelve um, pieces of bread, symbolizing the twelve tribes of Israel, the full people of God. They would always be in the light of the Lord's presence. Right. So this is this is what would happen, and it was the priest's job to come and burn incense. As you see, he would do uh, what I described with the bread of the presence, and he would trim the lamps. He would um, he, he would trim those lamps to make sure that they would always can and continually be burning. This, this is. The, the part of the daily ritual activity of the priest that he was given to do. And of course, before all of this, if you look up to the smaller diagram towards the top, um, you see the little basin there. All the priests had to wash in this basin or this font before they could do any of their ritual activities. Right? They had to wash, especially before entering the holy place. Right? And there you see the bronze altar where the, uh, the lamb would be slaughtered and burned day and night, and uh, this is this is what the Lord has set up. This is this is what the Lord has ordained for the worship of His people, so that they could receive His gifts, and He would deal with their sin. Right. Very interesting things, and you might also note the the great complexity 
with which the, temper, the temple and the tabernacle were um, built. There's, there's a great deal of intricacy and just very fine craftsmanship, artisanship, uh, or, or artistry, rather. Um, very ornate, very, um, it's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And all of this, of course, doesn't, it's not just for beauty's sake in itself, but all of this foreshadows Christ um, and the Son of God dwelling in our human flesh, which is fearfully, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are very intricate creatures designed by God. And the temple is a direct foreshadowing. The tabernacle, too, is a foreshadowing of Christ's um, incarnate nature, which he would assume for our redemption. So very important to recognize. In the time that we have left, I would like to turn just very quickly to Malachi chapter 1, and then I'll, I'll make some, some closing remarks. We'll see if you guys have any final questions or comments. Malachi chapter 1. Okay. Uh, let me see. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Looking on the wrong page. Okay. Um, it's starting in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And here's the, here's the response. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? And the response is, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And here's, here you see this too. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. Right, so the Lord is chastising rightly these priests who were just just they were not doing their job. Okay, they they were presenting these blemished, sickly, lame creatures, lambs, before God. These polluted sacrifices and expecting the Lord to be pleased with them. Right, and the Lord is saying, "What? Give that to your governor. Would he be happy with that? And you would dare to bring that into my presence, priests? Right, so." With what we see from not even just priests, but kings, prophets, um, we see in all of these things a, a longing, a crying out for the perfection of Jesus Christ. And with Jesus as our high priest, he is blameless in himself. He offers the perfect sacrifice. He is the recapitulation of all of mankind in one person, one divine, holy, human person. And um, he both is the high priest offering himself as the sacrifice. Right? So he's, he's the people of God. He's the sacrifice. He is the priest. He is all of these things coming into one. He, he is all of it.
and um, he intercedes for us now before the Father in heaven, and will do so for for uh, forever. I mean, he is our high priest. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. And, and so, too, we are given as Christians, as royal priests, to intercede for one another, right? To pray for each other, to bear one another's burdens. Remember, I talked about how the priest would bear the guilt, bear the, the burden of that, um, and, and, pre and bring that into the presence of the Lord to deal with that, for the Lord to be gracious and expiate that sin. Um, and to propitiate his wrath. And so we as Christians in the royal priesthood, by virtue of um, our union with Christ, we have become a royal priesthood, as, as, and, and according to the words of 1 Peter 2.9. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so here, it's not even just men who are given to be priests. Now, all people, Men, women, children, the young, the, the aged, everybody, all of God's people are consecrated by baptism into Christ as priests. We are given, to, we, we have priestly duties and a priestly vocation, right? And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for us to act this way. Um, you know, that's why we pray for each other and that's why we bear one another's burdens and we, we are like little Christs in the, in the words of Luther. We are like little Christs in this way. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I hope that, I hope that this study will, will help enrich your understanding of the priesthood and, and really firm up our understanding of the, of not just the Old Testament, but of all that Christ is and does for us as our great high priest. Um, any quick questions before we, before we close? Yes. Just, just a quick one. In Ezekiel 20, uh, 34, it says, uh, the Lord, uh, he's, he's against the shepherds of Israel. He uses that term. Is that, is that the priesthood? They fed themselves. They ate the fatted, uh, foods and they didn't care for the sheep. And he says, I will send, uh, a shepherd, a true mm -hmm. shepherd. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure, like on the, on the, um, on the, on the sure, uh, on the exegesis of that, I'd have to go back and look. But, um, surely the priests as, as religious leaders, um, they would have a part to play in the defilement of, of the people of Israel. Yes, I certainly think that they're in view. Absolutely. All right. The Lord be with you.